Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. You know, I had this encounter with the Lord once that I'll share with you guys. Is that cool? Um, it's kind of a weird one. Are you guys cool with it? You can sit if you want. You can stand if you want. It doesn't matter. They'll taste these on the keys, so we're just going to go for a while. Um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. You can, you can bring it. That's fine. Um, <clears throat> so very interesting experience, right? So I was, I was in prayer and just worshiping the Father. And how many of you guys have ever had a vision before? Anybody in here ever had a vision before? They're pretty cool, huh? Like you have a vision and you're like, okay, I know I'm here like at the altar, but then also I feel like I'm seeing things that are not here within this church, right? And so like a vision. And I very rarely will say, I feel like I went to heaven. I mean, that's something that's pretty spectacular, right? Like we should not be saying that every day. Like that's a sacred Although, I mean, if you go to heaven every day, I want to hear about it, you know? I, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I find that some people are like, I had this out-of-body experience, and I'm like, I'm not sure I believe you, you know? But anyways, whatever. That's a side note. Doesn't matter. I, I believe all of you guys for sure. Um, but the point is, is like, I just find that they're, very, they're sacred moments and they're sacred experiences and very powerful encounters that we have with the Lord that change our lives, right? And so for me, this was just one of them where I was praying and I felt like I was walking into God's office. <laughs> How's that for a weird picture, right? But like, I was, I was like a child in the... Um, I was like a child in the vision, and I was walking into dad's office, and uh, there was this big uh, desk and this executive high back leather chair, and it was turned around facing the window, and as I got closer to, to know that God the Father was sitting in his executive high back brown leather office chair looking out the window, that I looked out the window as well, and there was earth. And he was, he was just looking over the earth. And um, I walked up to the desk, and I didn't prepare this in advance. It just came out organically. And I said, hey, Dad. And I don't even normally address God as Dad. I know some people like to pray like that, but like I'm like, Father, you know. I'm like, hey, Dad, I got you something. I mean, I did not pre-plan this. And the Lord like turns around in his chair and I had this big coffee mug and I set it up on top of the desk and I said, here you go. And it said, number one, dad. <laughs> That's kind of cute, huh? And, um, and then like he, he, he turned around and I, I went over and I jumped up in his lap, which is always kind of weird as a grown man to be thinking about jumping up in the father's lap. And it was like he kind of like snapped his fingers. I told you this was weird. And these angels rushed in and they had these big wine skins that were filled with wine. And they started pouring it into the mug that I had given them. But as the wine flowed from the wine skin, it wasn't just like liquid wine. It was actually musical songs. It was praise being poured forth. And the father spoke to me and he said, this is how I refresh myself. With the songs of the saints, with the sounds of the saints. This is how I refresh myself. <laughs> so he just, he's just drinking it, you know. And then all of a sudden I'm inspired just to sing more and to praise longer and to worship stronger and to say there's never a moment that is wasted in prayer. There's never a time that is wasted in the prayer closet. There's never a moment that is wasted in praise. There's never a moment that is wasted in worship. And even if it is wasted, then we waste it all at his feet. Even if it is time wasted, then we waste it all at his feet like the woman with the vial of oil, you know, that wasted all of that precious ointment. That, that annual salary worth of precious 
ointment. She broke it and she wasted it all at his feet. And I just think that the Lord is looking for a few people who are willing to waste some time at his feet, right? Just waste time. You say, I'm just going to waste some time. We do it all the time with PlayStation. We do it all the time with Netflix or Hulu or Instagram, right? We're just wasting time, right? And uh, it's never a waste of time when we spend time with the Father. Amen? Amen. And so that's the kind of family that we are. I'm just going to grab my laptop here. Um, it's the kind of family that we are. We have been in this uh, sermon series called Presence People. Have you guys enjoyed that? And... Um, I wanted to, you know, talk just a little bit today about something that I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart, and it's, it's not an unfamiliar topic at all. Um, as I've been praying, I've just been asking God, Lord, what is the solution to all of the bad news? What's the good news? You know, in, in, in response to all of the bad news. Because there's plenty of bad news. All you, gotta, all you have to do is scroll for like 20 seconds, and you're going to get a clickbait title about some bad news, right? But the gospel is literally called good news. So in a season where there is so much bad news circulating, we've got to be asking ourselves, well, what's the good news? Because no, no matter how bad the enemy could churn out some news, it's always so much better the gospel that the Lord Jesus has to release from his lips, right? It's always better. It's heavier. It's stronger. It's superior. It's more powerful. The gospel crushes darkness every single time, right? 10 times out of 10, like Bill Johnson says, God could win with a pair of twos. Like if he's playing poker, right? Like he is just, he's always the majority. Even when there's only two people in a realm of darkness, God still has the majority right? That's just the way it is. And so um, one of the questions I've been asking myself is, okay, Lord, if there's good news that you're sharing, am I listening? Am I paying attention to you? Do I have the word of the Lord or am I just reacting? Because there's a big difference in responding and reacting. And there's a very big difference in, in responding on the basis of what we feel is right and responding on the basis of what God says is good. You guys get what I'm saying here? There's a big difference. Like we can respond on the basis of this is right and God's like, but this is good. <laughs> so, so this is what I want you to, to say. This is what I want you to share. This is what I want you to preach. This is what I want you to pray because our prayers are effectual. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, your prayers matter. Your prayers count. Your prayers are powerful. I know sometimes you think they're not. You're like, oh, this is just a little insignificant prayer, you know. But no, no. How, how many of you guys remember, like, we can move mountains with faith that's the size of a mustard seed, right? So if God can move a mountain which takes tens of thousands of years to form with faith the size of a mustard seed, what do you think he can do with a prayer that's 15 seconds long? There is no insignificant prayers in the Spirit, right? And it's not because you're praying, it's because of who's listening. Let's go. <laughs> so um, one of the things I've been asking the Lord, I'm like, God, in, in the midst of so much bad news, you know, what's the good news? What's the solution? And um, I've just been reminded of something that God has always championed within the context of this community. You guys ready for it? Family. And I'm like, God, how could family be the solution for the crazy that we see happening in the world today? And I think in one way, it's exactly what I learned sitting with Mama Heidi over in Mozambique in the dirt and that is that every single human being is the image bearer of God that means despite our differences despite our similarities despite our likes or dislikes each and every one of us look a little bit like him and the challenge 
the invitation that we've all received is to find Him in one another despite our differences. In, in uh, I believe it's 1 John, uh, the apostle articulates, when we see Him, we will become like Him. We receive so much transformation as a result of looking at the bridegroom. Right? But there's a whole lot of our transformation that's reserved for our looking at the bride. Is it it too much? Right? Because when we see God in one another, we're transformed more into His image. It's easy to see Him in Him because He's Him. We see you, Lord. You're beautiful. You're marvelous. You're amazing. You bless me. You never fail. You're batting a thousand in my life. Every time I need you, you show up. But how difficult is it to find him in the person that you've let me down. You've hurt me. You've said bad things about me. You see what I'm saying? But there's so much transformation in that. There's so much transformation in being able to behold the face of God in other image bearers, especially those that don't look like you. Because let me give you some good news. God doesn't look like you. You look like God. <laughs> that, just think about that. Genuinely. Because here's the goal of the gospel, at least partially, is that we're transformed more into His image, not that He is transformed more into our image. But the more and more that we fasten to that quote-unquote gospel, the more and more that God will like everything we like, dislike everybody we dislike. He'll vote the way that we vote. He'll spend money the way that we spend money. He'll hate everybody we hate. Right? And the thing that I notice about Jesus all throughout the Gospels is that he is found constantly loving on people that you think he shouldn't. The last people uh, that you think that Jesus would be found with are the exact kind of people that Jesus gave his life for. Are you guys with me? Like, he's always hanging out with the people that are on the margins. He's always hanging out with the oppressed. He's always hanging out with those impoverished, right? So, it's so interesting to me how many people are throwing stones in this season. Man, I'm going to... I'll show you. God is never on the side of those throwing stones. Find it. Find it in the gospel. You just won't find it. Right? Every time somebody picks up a stone, he's like, I'm going to stand on the side of those that are being assaulted. And instead of just using all of my power and all of my angels and destroying them, I'm going to stoop down and write in the dirt. (laughs) I'm going to hit my knee and I'm going to listen and I'm going to respond, not react, not on the basis of what's right and what those people deserve, but what's good and what the Father has to say over all of humanity, especially those that are evoking injustice. This is not a, this is probably not a popular word. It's not exactly where I wanted to go this morning, you know, but here's what I learned from working in India with pimps and Johns and nasty, dirty, oppressive people is that unless you have a heart, not just for the oppressed, but also the oppressor. You do not yet have the fullness of God's heart to bring transformation to that situation. We have to be broken on behalf of the people that God has called us to serve 
and, and let me just give you a slight glimpse into the people that God has called you to serve. The people who piss you off. Can I say that? There's only like a hundred people in the room, so I guess I'm allowed today, right? It's not even a hundred. It's not even a hundred. We're abiding by the phases. It's like 49, um, right? Why are you angry about what you're angry about? Because there is transformation that is resting upon your life to do something about the indifference that you see because you are a kingdom citizen. And when you see something that does not look like home, there is a transformation grace that kicks in you like a pregnant baby that says, you've got to do something about this. You guys, you guys with me today? Because that's what you're anointed to do. You're anointed to write history. You're anointed to shake nations. You're anointed to release transformation. You're anointed to walk out reformation. You're anointed to see revival. Not just for oppressed people, but also oppressors. You know why? Because Jesus included everybody. Whenever he was like stretched wide and hung high and bled out. And he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, all Jesus needs is a crack in the door. He just needs a little bit of repentance. I mean, think of how terrible the prisoners were who were crucified beside of him. Like, all he needed was just like a moment. Like, the dude defended Jesus for literally like one to two sentences. And he's like, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Like, he doesn't even require this big monumental shift. Like, they didn't... He's like, there's a crack in the door. Grace comes rushing in. Good news comes flooding in. I'm going to heal. I'm going to save. Right? But I need some instruments of righteousness. And that's not just about having the right relationship vertically. That's about having right relationships horizontally. Like That's how the cross is made. That's what the big commandment is all about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And people are like, I do love my neighbor. Just tell me who my neighbor is. Right? And then why do we ask that question? Predominantly because we're looking for an excuse not to love the people we don't like. Right? Because it's like, oh, that's not my neighbor. That's definitely not my neighbor. And the Lord's like, that's exactly who your neighbor is. That's why they come up in your feet all the time. Because <laughs> I'm trying to offend you enough until you'll be driven into prayer to such a place that you'll receive transformation for your heart that you no longer see them as somebody they're not in my eyes. Right? I mean, this is like a paradigm shift where you start to recognize, man, God wants his kids back. He wants, he wants all of his kids back. And we cannot be the older brother in the prodigal son story where we see a little bit of transformation, which is all Jesus is really asking for. Woo, floods in, heals, saves, delivers, transforms. He wants to do all of that. Because he can do all of that. Isaiah, and Isaiah says a whole nation can be saved in a day. What can he do with one person, right? I mean, it's so possible for God to do something so spectacular with one person in one day that literally changes the world. If you don't believe it, have you ever read the Apostle Paul? Right? I mean, legitimate terrorist. Actual murderer. I mean, first martyr of the church, Stephen. Paul holds the robes. You know, of the people throwing stones at Stephen. But all it took was one encounter with the living God. And all of a sudden, he goes from terrorist to revivalist. And we see half of the world reached with the gospel. Right? Who was Paul? Paul was the Jew of all Jews. He was the Pharisee of all Pharisees. And yet, God empowered him to go to who? The Gentiles. Right? It's like, I'm going to go to the opposite person. <laughs> you know why? Because I don't want you just to go to the people you're familiar with, because that's really not good enough. No one's going to notice anything supernatural about you only loving the people who are exactly like you. Even Jesus said, what is that to you if you only greet the people who greet you in the marketplace? If you're only in relationship with the people who are in relationship with you? He's like, what kind of love is that? Well, I love my neighbor. You do? <laughs> Prove it. Because <laughs> James said, well, faith without works is dead. And if you claim to love your neighbor, right, that you, that you, if, you, if, you, 
you guys help me here. That you can't see? How's it work, Todd? See, Todd doesn't know. No, you know what I'm saying. If you claim to love your neighbor who you can see, is that how it goes? Somebody help me. I got it. Boom. Todd said it. I forgot how it goes. Do you guys know the scripture I'm talking about? If you can't love your neighbor that you can see, how can you love God who you cannot see? Boom! This is a message about family, and in the context of family, revelation emerges. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety, Proverbs says, right? I just think when we get in the spirit of independence, we start moving in the wrong spirit, right? We really do need each other. So, okay, so real quick, can I give you guys a little bit of theology for family? Will that work? Because it's really important that I think that we understand it. Because I do think that family is at least one of God's solutions for what's happening right now. I really do. It's like, hey, we're doing family. And that's just the way, they're, that's just the way it is. How many of you guys fight with your family? How many of you guys will let anybody else fight with your family? Right? I mean, my, my, my brother and I, we were at each other's throats, I mean, 24-7, you know? And one of the things that I used to get so angry about was when he would wear my clothes. You know, it's like, if, he, there was two things that were off limits. Anything that was Air Jordan and my Jinko jeans. For those of you guys that remember Jinko jeans, you better not wear my Jinko jeans, you know? And I remember, I remember as a kid, like my brother and I, would, we were at it because he was wearing my Air Jordan shirt. And I went up and, and, and he was playing flag football or something. And some kid said something to me and my brother just went over and punched him. And I was like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. You don't mess with us. Even though we were mad at each other. I was like, I hate you, but that's right. You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like there's something, you know, people call it blood being thicker than water or whatever they want to call it. But, you know, there is something to be said about spiritual DNA, about family. Family looks out for each other. There's something to be said about family. And there's something to be said also about expanding our definition of what family really is. And that's one of the things that Jesus came to do. Amen? What if, what if I were to say that... Um, the, the best thing that happened as a result of the cross was not you being forgiven of your sin. Would that mess with you? Right? Because you being forgiven of your sin was super awesome, but you know what's better? The restoration of your relationship with the Father. <laughs> right? And so, yeah, the cross deals with the sin problem. It does. And that's amazing. That's a wonderful byproduct of the blood. But you know what happened primarily is there was a restoration of relationship that we see that had taken place at the origins of creation when you look back at Genesis chapter 1 because that's what God created. He was like, I'm going to create all, these, all this stuff, right? And God is a pretty good creator. Would you guys agree? Right? So the first thing he does is Genesis 1 verse 1, it says God created the heavens and the earth, Right? So I want you to take note that you actually see family in the very first scripture of the entire Bible. In the beginning, God, right? Help me. <laughs> Todd. <laughs> uh, in the beginning, God, right? Okay, can we do some Hebrew? In the beginning, Elohim. Right? In the, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, right? You guys... You guys, remember, you guys remember this, right? In the beginning. So Elohim is not, a, is not a, a singular word. It's actually a plural word. You guys know that? That's why in Genesis chapter 2, God could say, let us make man in our image. Right? Because whenever God, Elohim, created, he created in the context of a family. That's what he did, right? Because what do we call the Trinity? The Father. All right, hold on. A theologian did not just manufacture those titles. God gave himself those titles. God was like, I'm Father. That's pretty awesome, you know? And he's like, and I'm going to create 
everything with my son. Yeah. <laughs> right? And the spirit. And in this triunity, and, and we as a triune being, it's a great mystery. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth out of the context of relationship and family emerges the fullness of creation. Like, what? The very first scripture in the entire Bible starts. There's a precedent there. First scripture in the Old Testament. You, you turn over. Last scripture in the Old Testament. What does it say? Any, any guesses? Malachi chapter, I think it's Malachi chapter 4, maybe verse 6. Boom! Luke on the ball! I got to look it up. I didn't, I didn't bring my Bible up here. Are you guys cool with it? Sorry, I brought my laptop. Okay, so... We're, we're really having a family day right now. I mean, this is like full family. I don't know the scriptures. I'm using my phone on the fly. Okay. First verse of scripture in the entire Old Testament, we see a family precedent that is being set, right? Last verse of scripture in the entire Old Testament goes like this. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. It's like, hey, I started this whole thing within the context of family. And if we can't get to that place where creation is stewarded within the context of family, then the result will not be the healing of what I created, but the cursing. We see family right there in the beginning, man. I mean, that's the way it starts the Torah. We see family right there at the end, the, the, you know, the prophets in Malachi. Then we turn over, you know, there's a little leaflet there in the Bible. It's like, you know, it says the New Testament, right? And then we turn over into Matthew. And then Matthew, you know, where does he start? With the genealogy of Jesus. <laughs> He's like, here's where we're going to start. We're going to start in family. Let me prove to you that this is the Son of God, family. Right? We see that repeated again with Luke. Family. What do we see with John? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. A, a relational, familial context in which creation emerged. Right? So we see that. You know, even in the beginning in Genesis. Am I preaching too long? Okay. Uh, in the beginning, in Genesis, <clears throat> you know, you see God is creating all of these wonderful things that we thank God for. You know, he's creating light, the sun, the moon, the stars, the oceans, land, trees, animals, all of these things, right? He's creating all of these things, and he's like, all of this is good. He's the author of good news. He creates all these things like good, good lights, good stars, good trees, good animals, good, all of this, really, really good, right? But there is something more that the Trinity is yearning for. There is something more. There is that familial context that they have with themselves, that God has with himself, that it is emerging from his heart. And he's saying, I want this with my creation. And while all of these things are good, he fashions man from the dirt, breathes the breath of life into him, and then says, not this is good, but this is very good. Right? The only time that we ever see God in the creation story saying, this ain't good, is when he's like, Adam's all alone. He needs a family. Right? It's not good that he's isolated. It's not good that he's independent. It's not good that he's by himself. It's not good that he's trying to figure out how to steward creation all by himself. Right? So God creates, 
you know, he, creation, creation emerges. Adam is created. And then he says, okay, Adam, it's, it, this is very good, but it's not good that you're alone. So I'm going to give you a partner. It's going to be Eve, right? And here's what's going to happen. You're going to shape and you're going to steward all of creation within the context of family. So I've created you to shape everything else I've created. Does this make sense? So God, when God created the world, he created family to shape the world. Are you guys learn anything from this so far? So God sets up family as his primary tool to shape both nature and society. He creates us to create together. That's what he does. Right? And this is where God began. He begins with family. Family was God's plan A to cultivate the planet and, get this, to plunder the works of the devil. That's why you always see within any context where the enemy is just having his way is there is great dysfunction within the context of families. If you look at any nation of the earth and you're like, man, that nation, you know, forget the term, just going to hell in a handbasket. Look at family. And it's not good. It's not good. Any, any nation, any ge- geographic place, any, anything you're looking at, you can look at family, and as the family goes, so goes creation. As the family goes, so goes culture. As the family goes, so goes the infrastructure. As the family goes, so goes the government. Because that was actually one of the initial things that God gave the family to enforce was the government of the kingdom of God. When he said, hey, look, I'm not going to put you alone in this paradise. I'm going to allow you to be within the presence of evil because I would actually like to move through family to stomp on the head of the serpent. I mean, God could have literally put us in this paradise aside from the enemy, but it brought God good pleasure to leave the enemy within the context of what he created so that we could have the good pleasure of co-laboring with him to stomp on its head. That's pretty fun, right? So um, to say it another way, family is God's preferred and primary method of world change. Right? What is the very first commissioning that happens to humanity? It's, it's whenever God speaks over Adam and Eve and he said, I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply. So within the context of family, I want you to be intimate. And here's what it's going to lead to. Fruitfulness. Here's what it's going to lead to. Multiplication. Here's what it's going to lead to. Expansion. Because there's always something about intimacy into fruitfulness. Right? So within the context of that intimacy kids happen, right? You guys know what I'm talking about here? Right? And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply and then I want you to take dominion. Somebody say responsibility. That's a good way of looking at that word. I want, I want you to take dominion and then I want you to subdue the earth. And so God gave this commissioning to our first parents and he said, here's how you're going to change the world. Get in family and then be intimate with each other and then fruit is going to happen and then expansion is going to happen. Right? Like that is the context in which God loves to do world change. Can I give you some more Bible? So how about 10 generations later after Adam, who do we have? We have Noah that shows up on the scene, right? And God's like, I'm going to wipe everybody out. Right? Right? And what does God do? He doesn't just invite Noah into the boat. He invites his family. Right? He says, hey, it's not just one man. It's not just one woman. It's not just one kid. It's not just one grandparent. I want you to get your family. I'm going to save the family. How oftentimes when Jesus would save somebody in the Gospels and it would say, and their household believed in that same day. Like this is a family movement. The good news is not just for the individual, it's for the family, right? This runs so counterintuitive to our westernized, radical, individualized understanding of what the Gospel is about, right? God makes a covenant not only with Noah, but also Noah's family. God's desire was not to save a person, but to save a family. 400 years later, who do we have? We have Abram, which we know he becomes Abraham eventually. But initially he says, Abram, I want you to take your family and I want you to depart to a place where I tell you to go, right? And so along with this command, God gives Abram this extraordinary promise. What is the promise? You're going to be a great man of God. 
your ministry is going to be spectacular. You're going to get big offerings. You're going to be very famous. Right? He doesn't say that. This is what he says. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's legitimately the commissioning of our father Abraham. Right? Yeah, you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. Which is why thousands of years later, when the apostle Paul was writing about Abraham, what did he say about Abraham? He said, the father of us all. That's what he said about Abraham. He said, he's the father of us all. So you can continue reading all throughout the Old Testament. You'll see this pattern over and over and over again. Family has always been God's preferred method of world change. God began creating in family. He's continued ever since. It happens all throughout the Bible. Even when Jesus comes, Jesus is like, okay, you guys have probably got family confused a little bit because you think it's just about your nuclear family, but I'm actually coming to expand your definition of family. And it's not just going to be about your nuclear family. It's now going to be about your spiritual family. Which is, which is actually quite powerful. Really, if you think about it, Whenever Jesus comes, he takes this concept and he just really rips it apart. Consider that one time when Jesus is preaching to that home group and then, you know, somebody walks in the side door and they're like, Jesus, your mom and your, your brothers, they're here. Now, how dishonorable would you guys think that I was if somebody walked through that door and was like, hey, your mom is here and she wants to talk to you. So sorry, tell mom that I won't be coming out. Because here's who my family is. It's anybody who does the will of the. You choose to do the will of the Father, you're my family. You choose to accept the sacrifice of Jesus, you're my family. Jesus expanded the family de definition beyond nuclear. And he said, who's my brother? Uh, you know, who's my mother? Anybody who does the will of the Father, that's my brother. That's my sister. That's my mother. And he does this all throughout his earthly ministry. One of the things I love about uh, even just the lordship of Jesus is he did not invite them into a context of discipleship and say, here's when you would, will have arrived, is when you submit to me. Instead, he says, here's when you will have arrived, when you know you're no longer a slave, but a son. Right? Okay, I got to finish. Um, this definition and this, this understanding obviously pervaded the understanding of the apostles because in Acts chapter 1, whenever they're waiting on the promise of the... Y'all, this is good. This is, I think so. Yeah? Belinda says it's good, so it's good. They're waiting on the promise of the Father, right? And then for the first time you see Peter stand up and how does he address the people in the room? Brothers! They hadn't heard that before. So he begins to, you know, talk. What happens? There is family unification. There is family connection. Never says they prayed for revival. Never said they asked for a move of the Spirit. Never said they asked God to save a city. Never said, never said they interceded so that 3,000 people could be saved in one day. Nope. That was not where their attention was. Their attention was on God and each other. They were like, we're going to be in union with God and we're going to be in union with each other. And out of that context, which is the original commissioning that God gave to Adam and Eve, right? The Lord breathed the breath of life into the body of the church in the same way that he did into our first father, Adam, right? And so he breathes into it and he's like, okay, here's unity, here's union, here's family, brothers, brothers, you're seeing this thing transpire and then... Boom, the fire of heaven comes and there's revival, but not because they were seeking revival, but because they were resting in family. I mean, I know God had a plan, but I just believe this is a part of it. And even in his initial address, like the inaugural address of Peter to establish the first church, right? What happens when the people hear the message? There's a revelation that they receive in their response. They say, brothers, you guys remember this? What shall we do, having been cut to the heart, right? And then Peter stands up and he's like, great news, good news. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, right? Repent 
every single one of you and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and this promise that comes from the Father, comes from the Father is for you and your kids and your kids. And as generations afar off, as many as the Lord God shall call, he comes right back to the family. Peace. That's pretty awesome, y'all. 3,000 people getting saved in one day, right? Look, I know that this, this is a hard word, and I'll, I'll just kind of finish here because I know we need to stop. But, like, I, some, I, I, I know it's an easy word for us to get excited about in the moment, but it's a hard word to walk out, right? And, um, and, and it really is because, because we do not live in a culture in which cultivating family is really even encouraged. I would say that we live in a culture that's more divided, more independent than ever before, right? Like, most people do not know their neighbors. You know, most people don't know everybody they work with. You know, that's just kind of our reality. It's our culture. So to cut against the grain of that is very challenging. But you know what I think the invitation is? It's very, very simple. Even as I mentioned, like just that crack in the door, man, God can come in and do something spectacular with just a little crack in the door. You know, even as the early church began to emerge and they talked about it being fellowship or koinonia, right? One of the best words for the Greek word koinonia is just to participate. Like if you define it, just participation, just participation, just participating in family. And allowing God to define that from his perspective and then participating in it. I know family for some of us have been really rough. For some of us, we hear family, we're like, no thanks, washing my hands of that. I prefer an organization. I am out. Give me an organization. Give me an org chart. Give me clearly defined roles. Tell me what you want me to do. I'll do my chores. And that's it. Don't ask me to crack open my heart and don't expect me to ask about yours. We are on a mission here and it is called Save the World for Jesus. And the Lord's like, I love that you're in the mission field, but I'd love to get some of you back in the upper room. Right? I love that you're going after it. I love that you're willing to share my words. But I'd love if you could share some of your words from your heart. That's hard to participate in. It's a risk. It's a risk. To participate is incredibly risky. It's very difficult. It's hard. It's challenging. But it's what God's called us into. And here's some refreshing news. You actually don't get to vote whether or not you want to be a part of family. You, you don't get to, unfortunately. Like, this is one of those things, it's like, God, God's like, no, no, I authored this. Right, what does it say? God's family is the church, the pillar and foundation of truth. What does Psalm 68 say? God puts the lonely in families. It's, it, it, you know, loneliness should never be the condition of somebody all in at a local church. Never. It just shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. I mean, like, this is just an example, and I'll close with this example. But, like, you know, can you imagine if somebody, like, crash-landed on some desert aisle somewhere, and the only thing that they found, aside from food to live for a few years, was a Bible? And, like, that's the only thing that they'd ever read about Christianity. And for two years while waiting on rescue, they just consumed that Bible. And somehow, wonderfully, somebody rescued them, brought them back stateside, put them you know, into, into some clean clothes. And on the very first Sunday, they said, show me where a church is. I read this Bible. I'm so excited to go to church. What do you think they would expect? If I could find the Christians, man, they'll invite me in. They'll let me be a part. They'll feed me. They'll invite me into their home. They'll take care of me. They'll share with me. They'll give me some clothes. They'll look out for me. I'll have a relationship. It'll be covenantal. This will be my brother. This will be my sister. This is why the New Testament Christians walked around saying, hey, brother, it wasn't Baptist or religious. It was just like, it's actually like, you're my brother. You're my sister. I take responsibility for your blood. We have the same last name. It's holy. 
you, other people might, you know, we might fight, but I ain't gonna let anybody else fight with you. You see what I'm saying? Like, what would that person expect that got rescued? They would fully expect to find family when they walked into the church. But what would they find? Would they find a semblance of family? Would they find a cultural definition of family? Would they find a business definition of family? Because everybody understands that that's what this generation is looking for like never before. Because we're so isolated, alienated, independent. We're all on our smartphones. We're constantly locked in and looking down. We spend countless hours all by ourselves with technology. What the heart cry of our generation is, is family. Big business has started to notice it. Go to Chase dot com look at their about page they don't even talk about money and they're a bank they talk only about relationships go to starbucks.com look at their about page they talk very little about coffee it's all about relationships it's it's one cup of coffee from one hand to another in a beautiful engagement of relationship and and and, and it's like people are lit i mean they're looking up what can i get from starbucks because i'm star for it in my house it's true right And so there is a temptation that is current right now at the church to simply brand ourselves as a family because we know that's what the culture needs, but we're not loving them unless we are able to become it. I I told you I was in Indiana preaching and I drove past this bank and it was like not just a place to bank, a place to belong. I was like, what? I'm not finding community in a bank. What? But see, unless we can be the authentic family that Christ commissioned in the early church, what's going to happen? People are going to find community at CrossFit. They're going to find community at their gym. They're going to find community at their work. And that's all good. That's good. That's an extension. But nothing is as powerful as spiritual family. You know how I know that? Jesus said so. So that's the message today, I think. So if you guys don't mind to stand up, we're going to pray. And for those of you watching online, we just want to say we absolutely love you so much. And we're so grateful that you guys have spent your time today with us here at Legacy Nashville. Even for those of you who do not call this church home, we just want to say to you that you are a part of this family. I know that even this morning there was some people on uh, pre-service prayer when Grace was praying. There was a group on from the Bahamas. We consistently are getting emails. You got, So many of you have sent me emails and DMs, and I want to say thank you for that. You guys worshiping to our prayer rooms. Uh, I know there's people in South Africa. There's people in Korea. There's people over in California that emailed me this week that have been worshiping with us. And so I just want to say thank you. You guys are all a part of the family. Come visit us. Come hang out us sometime. We'd love to have you, love to hang with you, love to get to know you. Come visit Nashville. It's a pretty cool city. So uh, we're just going to pray now and just, we're just going to pray for God's, God's invitation to be received and for participation to become proactive for each and every one of us. Look, I, I do not suppose to believe that charting a course for family is the easiest course. It's the harder course. It's the most challenging course. It's the course that I have tried in my own strength to avoid at all cost. I don't want to do family in my flesh. Is that too much? Is that too much of a confessional? When we first started this church, God was like, family, 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 declare family. And everybody's like, okay, we're family, we're family. I'm like, God, can I please declare that we have enough kids ministry workers? Can I stop declaring family and declare that everybody tithes? Come on, Lord. (laughs) Lord's like, nope, family. Just keep saying family. And I remember one day I looked up and people were like, this is a family. And I was so shocked. I was like, really? You really think so? And then the Lord said to me, what did you expect? You've been declaring it for a year. Did you think I wouldn't answer your prayers? Some things take a long time to pray into fruition, but that makes them all the more valuable. So Lord, we just ask today in Jesus' name that you would help us to become the kind of family that you want us to be. Not that we want to be, or that we think you Uh, or that we think, excuse me, that culture wants us to be or people want us to be just so that we can be more popular. 
Lord, we want to do things from heaven's perspective. We want to do things God's way. And so we just submit ourselves to what you're doing today. Not what you did 3,000 years ago in the book of Acts. If you want to do that stuff through us, God, we're here for it. But whatever you want to do today, God, we say yes. Whatever you want to do today, Lord, we say yes. God, we just ask you to break us in the places where um, we have not stewarded family well. Move us to a place of repentance. And then also just a personal application. There are some people that are in your family that God is calling you to pray for right now. There are some people in your family that you've hurt, that you've offended, and you need to ask for forgiveness. But you've, been, you've just been waiting and you haven't done it. I just feel like the Spirit of the Lord is, a, is, is on reconciliation and restoration of family relationships. And we are fighting for reconciliation and restoration with, with race and ethnicity and culture and all this stuff in the world right now. We need to get it right with our family first. I'm not saying we don't do it simultaneously. I'm just saying it is so interesting that we would proclaim that people would be willing to forgive and restore relationship when we'll tolerate divorce, when we'll tolerate dysfunction, when we'll tolerate our kids being gone, when we'll tolerate leaving, when we'll tolerate unforgiveness in our own hearts. Just raise a voice for racial restoration, but also get it right with your family too. Is that too much? I just feel like we need to take responsibility for what's happening in our own hearts and and call that person this afternoon, church. Call that person this afternoon and say, hey, forgive me. I'm sorry. I wounded you. I hurt you. Please forgive me. And and none of that is any shame upon anybody that that has a bad relationship, has had a bad relationship, has been divorced, any of that stuff. None of that is any shame. I'm just saying that let us do the hard work in ourselves. So wherever the Lord is inviting you, if the Lord's given you a name right now, I want you to take that name to prayer and say, okay, Lord, you got it. I'm going to work to make it right. I'm going to work to forgive. I'm going to, I'm going to work to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to send an email. I'm going to send a text message. I'm going to send a phone. I'm going to have a phone call this week. I'm going to ask for a coffee. I'm going to get it right. Well, get it right. Let us be reconcilers legacy. Let us be healers legacy. Let us be vulnerable even when it cost us legacy church. So we pray for this today in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Love you guys. Bless you guys. So thankful that you are with us today. Have an amazing Sunday. In Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.